by socialist educators and organisers aiming to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system, what's going well and what really requires improvement. I am one of your hosts, uh, my name's Nick, so hello, uh, and I'm joined by uh, Lee. Hello there. And Charlie. Hey, And Tom. Hello. Uh, and later on in the episode, and this is probably why you've clicked uh, to listen to this, if, if we're being honest, is an interview with um, uh, Vic uh, Cheshi Ribeiro, who is a kind of sort of proud communist uh, teacher and um, union rep. Uh, and we talked to him about uh, no police in schools campaigns we're involved in, um, Strike Manchester, which is um, about trying to sort of upskill trade union and socialist uh, political education. Um, and just generally what it's like to be uh, a crazy, uh, ideologically motivated Marxist um, enemy of promise in the UK education system, like, like we all are. Um, but first, in this little brief intro, we're just going to talk about what we've been up to since um, since we last recorded a podcast, because we're, we're sort of proud to be active in the trade union movement. We don't just podcasts. We don't even have a Patreon or anything. If someone else wanted to set up a Patreon and uh, like get money, um, you know, we, we'd happily take that. But we're, we're too busy doing cool events and going to conferences and things like that. So, um, uh, yeah, who wants to start us off? What what kind of things have we done in in real life uh, since we last did a podcast? Well, around the time we last recorded, um, we were trying to get the NU membership to respond to a survey about their pay. And we think this is an issue that has become only more salient since February, as it found, you know, as we've all found out that it's going to be too expensive to live. Um, now, in our, in, you know, in my local district, we got 30% of members responding. We know that's not good enough. I mean, you know, it compared well with some other districts, but we're aiming for the sky because obviously, uh, every, you know, in, in the intervening period, there has been an annual conference of the NEU that happened in April in Bournemouth. And uh, the delegates at this conference have passed a motion to say that we should, you know, go for a full on industrial ballot on the issue of teachers pay. Uh, that is due to happen in October. Um, so that is going to be the focus of our actions going forwards is building towards that. But we've also been up to loads of other stuff in the intervening period. Um, does anyone want to talk about annual conference and how they found it well it's really good to be back in the flesh and meeting people and doing things like that it was i think really inspiring and reminded me about how important the democracy of it all is and i think you learn so much about what's going on with other districts and the, the whole union nationally um by being there uh obviously we're talking really quickly about it so I find it difficult to touch on anything in particular. Um, but, yeah, it was really good. And alongside, obviously, the conference itself, you're meeting with new people and having some really amazing discussions. Uh, and I think what I left with is feeling more pumped for it, um, for doing things in general, and I think that was the feeling of a lot of the people I was with. And another really good thing about that is um, not long after that, obviously, was Bristol Transformed, and then we did our session which had so many more people attending than I had banked for. And that was fantastic to see, I think, because um, there's a feeling, I suppose, we talked about before, people don't care as much about education as they should. And knowing that there's so many people out there who found it uh, something they wanted to go to in the first place, getting people through the door is often a big issue. Um, that was not the case at all, um, which was fantastic to see. And I hope we did a good job 
people seem to like it. People seem to like talking. We yeah, the, the feedback from our event sounds like well, what we were trying to do was show it was like political education, but it was also like pedagogy, political education pedagogy as well. We were trying, we were trying to sort of show that it doesn't just have to be a panel talking at you. It doesn't just have to be. Um, the most confident people in the room do all the talking. Um, there's loads of different ways of making people feel like they got something out of a meeting, giving lots of people chances and building up confidence and things like that. So, um, yeah, and, um, you know, you're involved in the, the chaining of the chairs mm. uh, as well. But, you know, because that's the thing, like when you go to an event and it's like a teacher as the chair, I think they're just a bit bossier and a bit better. Mm. Um, so we're trying to, like, pass on some of those ideas to make it just run a bit more smoothly and for people to come away less just like, oh, my God, that went on a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, it was the tightest run session of the whole um, day, the whole probably festival, in fact. We were the only one that started on time and finished on time. So and, more, long... and more people would have spoken in our one yeah. than any of those like, combined probably as well because everyone was talking to each other. Definitely. So all in all, good stuff. And we're going to do more of it and help everyone. Everyone listening who wants to do things like that, come to us. Set it up yourselves if you're far away from us, but yeah, good things, and it's it's really motivating for everyone. Yeah, we're going to be taking that session to Kurnow Transform, which is happening at the end of this week. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it will have happened, but we're excited for this uh, this new event, and we would encourage you to come along next year, whether it's Bristol or Cornwall. Uh, Tom, what have you been on up the to? road? The road show. <laughs> Book us for a town near you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I was at the annual conference and. Yeah, to echo Charlie, it was just really nice to just be back in a room with so many people. I think there were some good things that were voted through, some not so good things that were voted through, some good discussions, some discussions which should have been developed further and maybe people voting for things they hadn't fully thought through. But I think that's that tends to just be the nature of of mass participatory democracy and I, I, I don't think of a better solution to it than, than the one we have. Um, yeah, and I think um, that... That event, I think the conference rather, the big outcome of that was was the pay ballot. And yeah, we've had the pay survey back in February. I think we did a bit better in, in our district, but still around 35%. So that would never be um, any restrictive anti-trade union threshold. Uh, but we've now got a mandate to take that forward. We've got ourselves a deadline of October, so about four weeks, um, four weeks, four months from recording, um, from um, us recording today. And I think it does kind of, when the government and the laws set the bar high, that's not something we should kind of shy away from and back down from. We should aim to kind of beat the threshold and absolutely smash and demolish the threshold, which is why I think our interview with Vic today is is really, really timely because a lot of the discussion is about, well, how do you, how do you get people to that point? How do you move people in that direction? And I think what was great about Bristol Transformed is that it was something that's consciously designed to be political, um, socialist-minded, union-minded, but also actually being something interesting and engaging and things people want to go to. And that's, again, there's no great magic secret to it. If you put on an event that people like the sound of and think are interesting, people will turn up to it, people will engage with it, and it's an opportunity to engage and entertain them, but it's also an opportunity to move them politically in the right direction. And there's no great magic secret to the per- the pay survey, rather, that we had in February, where we had good... Um, workplace union reps who were trained union reps um, who actively understood that their job was to go out and engage members and hold meetings on the pay campaign that's where we 
got a really good turnout. That's where we are going to beat the ballot. So the question now is, where do we not have that presence? Where do we not have that capacity? How do we build that capacity and how do we build it quite quickly? But how do we build it in a in a sustainable way and yeah, keep moving people along um, in that direction? I think it's worth talking about like, you know, I mean, I've only been teaching for like seven or eight years, but I, rem- but I remember the days when every summer there was like a one day strike about something, wasn't there? Like that was quite regular before they brought in the anti-trade union um, stuff. Most summers there would be a one a national one day strike, and the turnout for those they put the ballot out. The turnout was often really low. I don't know. I'm going to say fifteen percent. It might have been a bit higher than that, but it wasn't very high. But it would be like ninety percent people want to strike, so the unions would just have a big strike. If you had a big um, NU contingent at your school, you'd probably go out. If you didn't. You wouldn't. The schools would still be open. And um, there's debate over whether those were effective or not. Now, I'd say, like, we didn't necessarily win anything, but it did force people to think about teachers' pay. It did force it into the public imagination. Schools closed. Why? Teachers' pay is shit. Oh. You could argue about that, say, oh, how am I supposed to look after my kids if the school doesn't do it? It's like, fine, whatever. But we'd have a rally. You know, it was, in a way, it's easy to get your your other union members to the rally because it's like, well, you're not in school, so you might as well come to this thing. You can't have something better to do. Um, Those days are gone now. I think it's worth remembering that that used to happen. And, yeah, it's going to be very, very hard to hit this threshold, but it's about how we do it. You know, from this server, we, we find schools where there's active reps. Cool. Do they have everything they need? Yes. Let them get on with it. Right. What do we need to do? We need to speak to the schools where they don't have reps. What are they? Primary schools. Right. Is there something we could do? To there to bring people in um is it going to be um using call hub or something like that to kind of ring around people i i think that is basically the only way we're going to be able to do it quickly but you know you, you could see where you've got like retired members they could be making phone calls retired members who worked for 30 years in account in a in a region um they would know all the schools they could call up say hello blah blah blah. have you voted this thing no what should i do blah blah blah. you know that i think is what needs to happen um and yeah we'll see what we get to if if we did hit the threshold and we did go on a one day two day strike i think it would be more effective than the previous ones because we've had to have we have had to build a movement where hundreds of thousands of people are you know ticking a little box and putting something through and, and deciding to vote when they weren't going to anyway so i think it could be much more effective but um yeah it's a bit of a mountain to climb but it's definitely worth doing yeah i think we've got kind of the tools and the know-how of what we need to do it's a case of i suppose getting on and doing it so in terms of call hub there's a really good um labor notes article we can put in the in the show um information about how to um do call banking, phone banking when people screen their calls. And it's basically about you need to build a capacity where people are getting phone calls from people they know, whether that's a rep or whether you're phoning rep to rep phone banking. So that's something we've we've tried and we're trialling and it's, a, it's, a, it's still an element of trial and error. But I think it's kind of approaching things from kind of two angles. And again, which is where I think um, the interview with Vic is really useful and timely. It's about what Vic talks about in his interview is about you don't shy away from the politics of it. And I think um, when kind of Jay McAlevey's talked about it is you you build the strike and you you build going out on strike, but you build the concept and the idea of a strike in people's mind that it's the big action which gets the big wins. You need to go on strike. And I think there's a big kind of element within 
particularly within education unions where you shy away from the strike because, of course, it's going to be lost lost days of education, um, disruptive for families, disruptive for communities. We don't want to go on strike is often like the kind of thing that is said publicly and, yeah, get like a disruption, bad for kids learning when they're not in school, but it's sort of you've got to weigh that up against what we're going on strike for. And I think it's the big thing that the, the, the Chicago Teachers Union say. It's like, well, a child's learning conditions are indivisible and one of the same as the the working conditions of, of an educator. And you just kind of need to kind of hammer that and we need to build the idea of a strike publicly, get people on board with it, but also kind of do that work within our union and win people round to the idea that going on strike is a good thing. Because we talk about, Nick... Um, I think it was during the the coalition government, so 2010 to 2015, what was the NUT then took more days of strike action than any other union. And I don't think, yeah, there's discussions about how effective that was and how useful that was. But um, what I found interesting at the time being in a heavily unionised school is that each strike did build for the next one and you could see people moving along. You'd have someone who in the first strike, they'd be a scab, they'd cross the picket line, but you know, like, well, these are the people. These are where we are weak, and we need to work on these people because they're sub-paying members, but they are crossing the picket line. So people would talk to them. You get friends to talk to them. People they listen to. Then when the next strike came around, they didn't cross the picket line. They were on strike. And then when the next one strike came around, they were on strike and on the demonstration during the day. And on the next strike that was around, they were on the picket line. And now they're they're, they're kind of leaders in their union, and you can see the payoff months and years down the line so I think that's where I think this interview is 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 a timely intervention and hopefully something that uh, we can all learn from yeah I mean uh, I think one of the most enjoyable things about the last few months is that we've had this uh, delayed payoff because um, we were like building our young educators network uh, in the in the years running up to the pandemic and i'm afraid the pandemic put a big kibosh on that momentum but it's only in the last sort of three or four months where we've been able to do in-person events again we're starting to see people stepping up to committees becoming reps you know certainly tom's had uh very admirable success in his rep recruitment i'm beginning to make inroads in in my respective district um I see positive signs in the future. I, I, you know, I've been guilty of despair. I just think even when we do events now, it's not like... Because sometimes in lefty circles, it feels like it's the same people doing everything. But these days, like, sort of life has got in the way of various things and it's there's just always someone to pick it up. It's, it's, mm. it's been brilliant. Like, we have made the thing that we wanted to make, which was it doesn't just rely on any one person. Like, we all pull together, someone pulls out, oh, I can do it. And, yeah, and, and just building that resilience in has just been, it's just been great. Chai? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's building the resilience. It's also building, yeah, just the confidence in other people to know that they can take the reins completely and it's absolutely fine to make mistakes. Uh, it's fine to say that things are beyond you and uh, we can share ideas, we can share the load quite easily. I think doing, yeah, doing the organising for Bristol Transformed really made me realise that, you know, the first thing that was important to the planning of it was if anyone drops out, which they is quite likely they may, um, we have to be completely prepared to keep running and it not to be something that stops us because we can't stop. And having that practice of doing that was really good because it means I'm pretty confident that I could do that in, in any situation and I will hope to never get to a situation where... 
I well, need to plan something that relies on just one person because it puts on so much pressure onto that person. Um, and it's, yeah, really good to have a whole bank of people that can do it instead. Um, thinking about conference as well, just bring it back to that. I think that one of the things uh, we sort of lost by um, being not there in person was the ability to plan in advance what was going to happen i feel like some of the mistakes that happened with conference and what people voted for without thinking um was that we weren't really prepared and one thing i'm really hoping to achieve next time is to start planning for conference so far in advance maybe even now um and getting ready for those debates and because the same things come up year on year and having that gap meant that I was hearing it, I was like, oh, I should have been prepared for that. We all should have been prepared for that. Um, and now I think we can be because we've had the one year. Next year's going to be even better and this year was pretty good. So, you know. On- onwards and upwards, most there. Um, so, yeah, cool. Well, so we've got the, um, the interview with Vic uh, coming up, which hopefully you enjoy. Uh, so we are here uh, with a uh, friend of the show. We can call you friend of the show. Would you like to be friend of the show, Vic? Yeah, I'm a very good friend of the show. Great. Uh, we're here with a friend of the show, comrade of the show, uh, Vic, uh, who uh, has managed to carve out a little bit of time in in half term to talk to us about a few things. So we'll see how this, we'll see where this goes. Um, so I guess well, I, the thing that kind of, I suppose, put us in contact with Vic was um, we all did the, uh, well, a few of us did the Organising for Power uh, course and we're sort of helping to teach, um, yeah, U- UTLA members, it's like two years ago now, I suppose. Um, and I guess we sort of kept in contact with um, and tried to do other various things where we've been trying to push like a more of an organising uh, approach in in the NEU, uh, a deep organising approach in the NEU. Uh, and Vic has had a sort of, yeah, a good person to talk to. Um, she's had a few victories and successes or, um, yeah, just, just I guess, I guess so just to start us off, like, talk to us about like, I don't know, how have you managed to apply the organising for power approach uh, in schools like you know what have you found hard what have you found easy got any got any tips for people yeah it's a good place to start really um i think if you sort of boil down the organising for power training it's about giving education workers a say in how the workplaces run no someone who describes myself as an educator and a communist i believe that workers should be running the workplace so what that means is is that we're able to get together in place like schools, hold meetings, give people a stake in what's said, what how you sort of develop demands and how you then take that onto your school management has to involve the workers every step of the way. So doing the training was really inspiring, learning from and meeting other comrades, not only this country, but in the United States. But what I was really excited about was no, applying it, no, applying it in your own workplace, because end of the day, these things are methods. And I'm also a science teacher. Um, you know, if you have a method, it's about applying it, refining it, evaluating it. Um, so in my in my old school during the pandemic, there was clearly a need to organise around health and safety. So we won some significant victories around um agency staff getting paid in terms of rotors drawing the key work provision being being voluntary on workload, um, lots of things. And that came about through applying the sort of deep organising 
rank and file strategies um, that we not only did in my school, what myself and a few others in Manchester, which is where I'm based, thought, okay, we saw this works, why not apply it elsewhere? So we ran the organisation of power training across Manchester that wasn't just open to um, to school teachers, but also those across different sectors as well. Um, now, I think sort of the strengths of it is giving people a sense that they're part of a trade union um, and they're the ones driving change. Um, however, there, there can be limitations to it, um, but no, these things aren't sort of set in stone. It's up to us to sort of apply these methods and to popularise them and make them even better. So, yeah, so I guess... Um... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you get when you get the um, the situation where the organising power methods become more popular. There's a kind of backlash to it, not not in a kind of necessarily negative way, but it's like people use it and they start to um, have kind of constructive crit- critiques of it. Um, and I guess it, in in one definition, the the way that um, Jay McAlevey frames it is kind of specifically targeted at like paid organizers really isn't it like certain bits of the language and certain the kind of like never say this or never do that that is kind of like aimed at specific paid organizers that would go into a workplace and start organizing it when you've got like a a teacher who's been at the school for like 15 years and they're a rep there probably are some ways that they are an organic leader although reps are weirdos you know we shouldn't think that everyone thinks the same as us but at the same time we shouldn't play down the idea that we we have some people who who follow us. So I, I wonder what else you've kind of adjusted from the sort of pure McAlevey thing to make work a bit better in 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 the school situation. Yeah, um, in the McAlevey training, there's sort of a section around um, what what what's the name of the strategy that involves involving all the workers in negotiate. There's a sort of a specific term for it. Do you do you remember? I'm, I'm big t- bargaining. Yeah, big bargaining. So. What we took from that was to certainly include workers um, in terms of building demands and deciding what they were. So in my school, we sort of together sort of taught people how to submit motions and amendments and stuff, not because it's something that trade union branches do, but actually them seeing the value of how to democratically decide things. Um, And then... Instead of, say, having everyone outside the head teacher's office whilst we had a half-termly meeting with the principal, um, myself and I would encourage sort of newer members to come and sit in with me as a means of sort of developing their experience. We've still got that link between what the membership had decided and me as a rep. Also, for me as a union rep, I'm directly accountable to members who are literally got one person who's there with me physically but also that gives me sort of the confidence to be radical and bold, knowing that if I'm not, um, members say, well, you've, you've not done what you've asked, what you're doing. And I think that's as key, I think, um, to building a real democratised workplace where it isn't just, say, one politically astute union rep and you've got members who are increasingly getting active, actually... The member seat as their trade union, their demands, and that they, they expect to win those demands as well. Yeah, like our way around that big bargaining thing, or trying to incorporate the methods to make it work, is like writing like a big 
a big letter to management about something and get members to put their name to it and get everyone to, to be involved in the writing of the letter. Like obviously, I wrote most of it, but then putting it on Google, um, whatever it is, Google Docs, and people could like add comments and change bits. And there was like certain meetings we had, like hammering out the wording and like to an extent, like softened up certain things that I was putting in there. But to be fair, like you know, it's pro- it's doing these this kind of things provocating enough I don't, it doesn't matter but but people felt more a part of it because they'd had they'd had their input and then we sent it to management and they were like uh yeah i don't need to read this or respond to this you have your you have meetings with us and uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna respond to so i need to think about that. but that was part of my idea is like well if we could have a dialogue with management which is written down then everyone can be in the meeting effectively rather than have these things where they kind of they slither around in the meeting and they're snaky about what they say and they don't really commit to things and we kind of wanted members to see that but um yeah that's what we got to but the idea of bringing bringing new people in each time would, would be really good i suppose my other question is like how do you get people to do that because i could imagine asking someone and they'd be like oh no i'm i'm scared of it and stuff so i think you're i think as well part of your what you've been really successful at is like is the organizing bit which is like getting other people to do stuff so what I don't know what what tips have you got for that or or what works and what doesn't yeah so the example you gave with a letter where members have contributed to the contents of it now might seem like a small thing um but what you're doing in the long term is you're developing people's democratic capacities um and you're sort of demystifying sort of the role for union rep um and you're sort of closing the gap between a union rep and the memberships where the memberships you're developing their leadership abilities. Um, but also through this sort of deep organising approach, you're sort of, you, you know, you're developing a sense to the members in your school that end of the day, your head teacher is just a person. They're, they're just another person and there's nothing to be afraid of because actually what's a lot more powerful is the vast majority of the workers in the workplace being part of a trade union. So actually... In terms of power dynamics, if you turn it on its head, um, rather than being something that people might be afraid of, it can actually be quite an empowering, pro- empowering process um, that that people want to be part of. Um, so, in in my school, um, I really tr- sort of try and break down the role of the union rep, where it isn't just me, but actually it's sort of almost been sort of broken down to having what we call union champions in each department because I work in a secondary school and that sort of structure is, is a bit more diffused out across the workplace. Um, so not only getting beyond the sense that a union is a service or insurance policy, but actually it's this living organic thing that almost runs in parallel to an official staff structure. Um, but actually, and this sort of breaks down sort of management tactics around sort of well-being champions or sort of well-being service sent around actually the most effective things having trade union that not only brings people together but has the capacity to escalate action if it's a no anyone else want to jump in here uh yeah um i've got a question i suppose it ties in with kind of the mccalevy method if you want to call it that and the the six step structured organizing conversation things it's step four step five is about inoculation so I suppose I'm thinking, well, we hope like the purpose of this podcast is that people will listen to it and hopefully get some practical stuff they can apply either in an education setting or just in any workplace. Um, what are kind of been the big pitfalls or the 
kind of things to be aware of that other people can kind of preempt um, and the problems that, that you've come up against, like any of the kind of risks or dangers, I suppose? Yeah, I think workload is such a big issue in schools. Um, and part of that is, I think, sort of a conscious attempt, I think, to sort of depoliticise workers so they haven't got the time to, to organise effectively. Um, so that involves all the other stuff around having your organic leaders, having people in the union that people trust, having that visible presence. So actually those conversations happen where oh, I'm too busy, can't come along to our members. But actually the workers there understand that it's investment in their time that they've individually got to put in in order to improve things for everyone collectively. Um, I'll say sort of the second big obstacle that, in my experience, I've faced is, is just around a lack of confidence, um, which, depending on where you work, can be something that is historical, um, but also it's it's part of that sort of wider ideological thing from sort of the Department of Education that, you know, these things we can't change. You know, the education system is about pulling out grades for students' exam results. There, there's no connection between something that's wider and broader, actually, what education should be about is giving young people the tools and indeed society to liberate itself. But how many workers in our workplaces see, see schooling, see teaching as that? Um, so what I think is really important is that trade union meetings, as well as being a means to bring people together, which in and of itself develops people's confidence um, and sort of changes those social relationships between people in a workplace, between people who work together to actually people who sell their labour and actually collectively should have a say in how that place is run. Um, they should be running side of, alongside of it, you know, kids for education, you know, understanding the role of things like Ofsted, academisation, you know, the neoliberalisation of education. You know, we need to be able to understand these things as well um, in order to develop our confidence that these things aren't set in stone at and there are exciting alternatives to the education system that we have now. And actually, what you do find is people sort of see being part of a trade union as not only something that is out of necessity, but also something that is sort of intellectually stimulating, but also something that's about developing real deep, meaningful relationships with the people that you work with. My thing isn't a question, but it's made me think about how what we've been doing in Bristol um with npyw events um and also obviously at bristol transformed having a session where we had loads of discussion and it allowed all of the audience basically to participate i think i've become more and more aware how those sorts of things actually just getting someone to voice their ideas to people they don't know is a sort of the first step in getting to say it to more and more people eventually say what they actually think to their boss um, or at least, you know, in a collective way, um, is such an important thing and how having those two things running together, how actually our union and slash us and what we're doing and anyone who's doing similar things um, is doing things that not every union is doing and how that offers us an extra opportunity to sort of get people and basically empower them, give them that confidence to take the next step whatever that might be with every single person it's going to look different but you basically wanting every single person to do that little bit more than whatever they've done before and see where it goes yeah absolutely and there's 
there's if I just quickly just follow on from that, you know, sort of real good, a really effective pedagogy is around sort of problem posing and problem solving, sort of sort of following sort of Paulo Freire's ideas around critical pedagogy. And that isn't just something that that book should just read when we're doing a PTCE. No, something that should apply to not only our school space, but also our organising spaces as well. So something that we found has worked really well in terms of a format for a union meeting is say, okay, what are the problems in this workplace? Okay, and then just have a good period of time where people just come up with, okay, what are the issues in the school, where they've come from, and how do we solve them collectively? So what you described in terms of the pedagogy event you had at Bristol Transformed in terms of effective political education should also be the way that we conduct our trade union meetings because trade union meetings are also a form of political education. Yeah, I've got a kind of question that, that leads on from that. Um, I suppose what a lot you've talked about, Vic, is doing trade unionism well and doing a good job with it. But I think it's an issue in the NEU and I think it's been an issue in all trade unions where there's kind of a model where our job is to as union reps is to kind of do HR's job for them or to develop a nice, friendly, cosy relationship with management to kind of eke out some, like, ameliorations and some small concessions and teeny-tiny wins. I suppose what you're talking about is a model which it puts the idea of power front and centre and it, it, it poses almost like its starting point, the idea of if you are a worker, I think if you're a worker, particularly in education, you're entitled to dignity in your workplace and you're entitled to some democratic say over your workplace. And what kind of challenges have you felt being, I suppose, an upfront and, I suppose, proudly trade unionist and, I suppose, socialist uh, union rep as opposed to one who's, oh, I just want to make the school better, we're all in it together, we all want to make this a nice school for the kids and management want it, we want it. How do you kind of square that yeah and i think in terms of the profile of our workplace reps it just sort of speaks to a lack of effective socialist political education that isn't just something that's specific to their new but across you know the wider movement and i think it's up to us as socialists to educate fellow workers and you know we do have a socialist movement and we do have a trade union movement but no, they're, they're too far apart at the moment. So the work that we should be able to do is to, is to merge the two together. Um, so what I've found is that there are limitations of doing that within a trade union um, where you are able to do aspects of, say, for example, in my last school, we did we did some work around no place in schools, which is something that we might talk about later. But we thought it was important to sort of speak about in that meeting around the structural forms and where racism has come from so we sort of spoke about in that union meeting around sort of imperialism colonialism you no know, the origins of policing because in order for workers to make a measured and reach a position on say policing education they need to know all these things as well um but one thing i've been sort of exploring is sort of organized organizational forms where workers in trade unions can have sort of more explicit exposure to socialism. So we've set up Strike Manchester, um, which is a space where it can afford to be a bit more radical than, say, if we just did it within the NEU. Um, but, yeah, I, no, the problems you've identified in terms of 
union reps not being politicised enough is, is absolutely the case. Now, I'm a communist, I'm, I'm a radical, um, but there is limitations to just solely operating within a trade union space, I think. It's, it's in one of the, it's in Lenin as well. Lenin criticises the trade union consciousness. I can't remember like the race, but it's like that kind of petty trade union consciousness of, oh, we just improve everyone's tradition. Uh, conditions enough and then everything will be fine whereas actually you need like the committed people to sort of push things to push things through sorry Lee. and I, I understand that's a gap uh there's some there's some people there's some people within momentum who are trying to take that organization in that direction uh so recently they launched uh momentum organizers that are trying to build that link between the political space and the trade union space so i think i think there's lots of people who are coming around to addressing this dilemma um, I think along alongside the kind of radicalizing it and doing it properly, I think sometimes people, because the left is full of nerds, there's too many nerds, <laughs> uh, with alienating language, there is actually lots of ways of explaining it more simply. Like, I don't, I, I wonder what people at work think my political beliefs are, but like, when I try and explain something, which if, if a kid asks me, because if I have to teach a shit history lesson that I've been given that doesn't make sense, and a kid's like, what's communism? I say, well, communism would be a situation where the workers run the country. Like, it's literally that simple, like where they actually run the actual country, actually. Um, but most people in my school wouldn't define it like that. Now, I think that's a fine definition. And when people talk to me about, like, why... Why should we go into meetings with management and tell them that we want things to be different? I'd be like, well we do the work so we should run the school like it's literally it's honestly that simple and it, that is a way that like anyone should be able to understand how things work they could push back against that and they could say oh leadership blah 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 bollocks 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 but i will ultimately be like we're the ones that do the work there's more of us our interests might be different there we go there's a class <laughs> difference there we have to seek that conversation and we ha- ultimately have to win because there's more of us and we deserve to win <laughs> whereas if there's a difference of opinion uh, what they what they think doesn't matter because there's like there's a handful of them and there's there's way more of us. So like yeah, I completely agree with like we need to be up, we need to be tooled up on the actual socialist and communist ideas. But um, there is something to be said for having a way of explaining it to someone in the pub, to you know someone who doesn't read the news or whatever. Um, not not in a derogatory way, but you know someone who just is not. If I just went in and said. Cool, guys. So, communism says we need uh, a better staff room. Uh, and how are we going to do that? <laughs> that wouldn't be the way to do it. Yeah, and no, I think, because um, obviously what I find really inspiring and exciting about tra- the trade union movement is that there's so much latent power there, but it is sometimes it's quite hard to see that potential. If we are in the NEU, we have 450,000 members I mean, that just alone is, that's much greater than the entirety of active, engaged socialists in the country, I'd imagine. Like, the socialist movement, as such as it is at the moment, is is obviously comparatively small and weak and um, deliberately been been smashed to pieces over, over years and decades. But I think, yeah, I think the interesting challenge is how do you bring that into a workplace? So you take it from a self-selecting group, like a socialist reading group or a meeting or a, um, a small organisation into a workplace where you have literally everyone from all sorts of different backgrounds whose only commonality is the school they're in, and how do you then apply that and win people over? And um, I think my question for you, Vic, is on that, the specific issue of no police in schools, because I think there is 
without too much pushing, you're kind of pushing at an open door to an extent, challenging on kind of workload and increasingly on pay. How do you win people over to an argument or an idea that they may not have thought about before? Like, I'm, I'm really interested to, to, to get involved and build a No Police in Schools campaign in um, where we are in the country, but I know I can predict almost word for word the kind of arguments and the pushback we're going to get in staff rooms, which will be, well, the police are good. The police are there to help us. They protect us. They stop the bad guys. Um, how have you found... Um... Did you see what happened to that police van? That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had that. I've had a colleague being like, oh, I've got a friend in the police, and that was absolutely... Those protests were terrifying. He's never been more scared. I mean, how do you, how do you challenge and win, win over that? Yeah, um, I think it was, it was two years ago, Andy Burnham... Um, he proposed placing 20 additional school-based police officers across Greater Manchester. Um, and that was picked up initially by Kids of Colour and Northern Police Body Project, who do fantastic work in the area. Uh, and they set up the No Police of Schools campaign. Um, and one of their one of their members spoke at a NAU Northwest Black Members training event. Um, so we thought, yeah, absolutely, no cops in school. Let's take that forward. And part of that work involved not shying away from those conversations and not writing off people's sort of opinions because it, it comes from somewhere. Um, and what we did was we did sort of big public meeting online um, and we encouraged our reps across the region to hold workplace meetings about it. Um, in my experience, the, the things that um, have come up is like you described, Tom, in terms of they're there to protect us. But actually, if you if you speak to fellow workers, say, well, actually, why can't why can't another pastoral member of staff do that? Why can't a psychologist do that? So actually, what they're responding to is cuts, austerity large class sizes, lack of training, you know, that's the root of the problem. Um, and if there are and if there are issues in the community that have been exacerbated by, say, a, over a decade of austerity, that, that's where the money should go towards, should be going to communities rather than this sticking plaster, which is which is extra policing. You no, know, and fundamentally, you know, our workplaces should be spaces where children can make mistakes and learn from them that's the purpose of a school and not be not be criminalized for it and and also well, i don't want a police officer in my school do you know what i mean like imagine like who, who, who would put up with having a police officer patrol in their corridor um start comp completely outsourcing the work that we do it's really undermining our work um so we were quite successful with that because we did a lot of work as well with like local councillors who sort of took it forward and Annie Burnham last year agreed to not do that. So we no longer have school-based police officers based in schools. There is some further work in terms of their involvement in sort of back office duties, but that's, that's a big win, I think, considering the direction travel in the rest of the country in terms of policing and securitization is in the opposite direction. I think there's lessons to be learned and some of the things that we're keen on in the Northwest is sort of linking up with other trade unionists who might be sort of looking for the lessons that we've done in terms of setting up this sort of campaign work. So yeah, Tom, it's more than happy to sort of share to you like reps briefings we've done, sort of things like that that you can use sort of in sort of schools. Yeah, the way they sold it to us was, I, we don't have policemen in school now, but we did for a little bit, was 
that the pol- there's no local police stations. Uh, so this policeman needed an office, basically, to be in during, <laughs> during the day. And the school just had spare space. And then the other thing they just say in the region where, where we work, where I work, is they just say county lines. If they if they need to, like, justify, like, anything, they just say ca- oh, county lines, county lines. Do you agree with county lines, do you? That's like, no. But, um, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, they're not there now, so that's what... But I think that austerity argument can... It's almost like them being in the school solves the austerity argument for some people. Um, it's like they might as well be here than be here than somewhere else. But, yeah, that does that does need to be challenged. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, I'm not aware of any of our local constabulary, uh, to borrow a phrase from The Wire, getting dope on the table. <laughs> I've, not, I've not seen any of our, you know, like special constables uh, busting one of these county lines, but may, maybe we're... Uh, it's a world we, we have little insight into. We're too busy euthanizing alpacas in our in our. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on a serious note, like you know, kids kids at risk of involvement in crime and exploitation are not given the help they need. You know, the 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 the, the, the actual children's service in our area was declared inadequate by Ofsted. Not that we give a shit about their opinions, but it is plainly inadequate. As are the mental as you know the the, the child and young adult mental health services. The adoption service, the fostering, you know, trying to address the crime is very much, you know, uh, trying to shut the door after the horse has bolted. You know, you're you're dealing with the symptoms, not the calls. So that's my view. Um, So uh, obviously the government are looking at um, prevent uh, and they're going to change it. I don't think they're going to... It's probably not going to be better for us. Um, How do you feel about them uh, tightening up the stuff on uh, prevent, Vic? Yeah, I, I think the government's has identified that particularly schools and universities are sites where left-wing ideas are being reproduced um, comparative to, comparatively to other sectors of society that might be sort of more apolitical, more individualised. In schools and universities, the government are really terrified by the growth of anti-racist organising and climate justice organising from young people that can be linked to anti-capitalism. So if you're the government and you've effectively got now a Labour Party that is wedded to imperialism and capitalism, in terms of like sort of stamping out these vestiges of left-wing thought, schools, universities, so lecturers, teachers, so... What's worrying is over the last sort of 10, 15 years, this entire securitisation framework has been built around counter-extremism. Um, supposed counter-extremism, now you've got a government that is openly propagating far-right ideas, but at the same time says that it's trying to counter-extremism in our schools and communities. Um, so you could see, and I think we'll increasingly see, um, the possibility of left-wing teachers, left-wing ag- academics being targeted for, particularly around increasing what's being seen as being beyond the pale, which is opposition to NATO, anti-imperialist politics, um, no work around sort of no the climate and, and 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 issues like that. And what I think is that for. For school teachers, we've we've got to be really attuned to this as as being a real threat in terms of the sort of organising we want. Because uh, I don't think we can be trusted for 
no senior union leaders to sort of to recognize that this is an issue because they're not necessarily radical themselves but if we want a politicized radical rank of file trade unions we absolutely need to defend that you can be a socialist and a teacher at the same time so the government see prevent as being questioned things the recent report by lord shawcross which is called for a doubling down on muslims effectively um but there, there is also a threat i think to radical teachers like like ourselves yeah i can kind of see a situation where you've got kids who are being kind of doom pilled on the internet reading kind of nasty nazi kind of far right stuff and i could see that in my mind i imagine i can see a kid who i know would do this to me but he doesn't work at my school anymore he got dragged out of the classroom uh like shouting at me for not being born here and uh just saying Churchill's a war hero, basically, like, as he was being dragged out of the classroom. This, But I could see how someone, a canny, like, Nazi on the internet could say, look, kids, if you want to get a teacher sacked because you hate them, because they're, like, some mad lefty, here's the A, B, C mm. of how you do it. This, this is the thing. You, cite, you say it's your parents, you disclose it as a, as a thingy, um, and, and you write them up for it. And because management are either stupid or cowards, I don't think they'd be able to understand the difference between... Um, you know, like indoctr- indoctrinating kids or just teaching them what actually happened. Um, because again, like the prevailing narrative would be horseshoe theory bullshit. Uh, you know, communism is radical, um, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I'm in touch word. I've, I've been pretty, pretty overt with my beliefs over the years and been all right, but we'll see. I mean, it's an interesting hypothetical. If you talk about horseshoe, you're suggesting a Nazi would get like be getting you for being a socialist because the possible outcome is what the horseshoe back to Nazism. Like you know, it's well. What I mean, management wouldn't be able to tell the difference between my completely reasonable and completely true opinions mm. and the completely stupid opinions of some right wing idiot or their own stupid liberal opinions mm. if they're liberal or not reactionary. I mean, I think it's it's hard to talk just in terms of hypotheticals. I think if we had any kind of concrete examples of what had happened in the past and how that went down, you'd get a better sense of what could be done. Because I I think we've talked about before that, you know, educators do self-police, you know, quite a bit. And I think perhaps we will need to be careful. But something I've sort of considered is the idea of in a situation where I wasn't necessarily sure or comfortable, uh, especially as I do supply, so I go all sorts of places, um, if I was to be in a school for long enough but I could easily be sacked or anything like that or just not be um, asked back, perhaps to talk more about whatever you think, make sure you care, because the one thing that the those in power really, really want is for no one to care. So if you disagree with me, go for it. But as long as you care, because that's the thing that we need more than anything, is for everyone to care. And once they care, my, you know, money is on the fact that they'll care and sort of agree with me, with us, with the left. But if they, if, if you're empowering them to care and then they care and they think the exact opposite of me then fair enough but please please care yeah and i think there's 
there's actually a, a a gap here for the union. I think we do need to, you know, if these laws get tightened, if freedom of speech for teachers is under attack, we need to start teaching how to protect yourself. Now, if you're doing a good job in the classroom, you've got 31 other children who are not part of a criminal conspiracy to get you fired. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I do think we need to address this more explicitly and head on. Again, it brings it back to what Vic and, you know, Tom and Nick have been saying about... We need more political education because we need to be savvy. We cannot be caught asleep on this one because, yeah, then in the hypothetical you explained, a, a, a well-meaning but naive teacher could find themselves sacked, you know, for, for daring to venture that, oh, what, what if everything wasn't shit? What if what what if uh, your future wasn't being slowly cancelled? You know, I, I... what if come crazy? What if we didn't have a royal family? Can you even imagine oh. what that'd be like? I mean, obviously, there'd be no, no one would ever come to Britain ever again. There'd be no more tourists. There'd be like the nice shortbread wouldn't have the little sign on the side anymore. Cancel the Jubilee yeah. straight to jail. Yeah. <laughs> the Millennium Dome would implode. Yeah, um, <laughs> it did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, appreciate your time is tight here, Vic. What any, um, any final thoughts or last things you wanted to say? Um. I think we, we've got a big term coming up in the autumn. We're very likely to have a national ridiculous strike ballot and pay. So I think it's going to be a real test for our current, the union, which believes in deep organising, um, to make sure that we, we beat we beat that that threshold and we are able to, to win on pay. Because increasingly so, teaching is becoming a less and less attractive profession. Um, and with the proposed changes on pay, we see a real flattening of the pay scale that's going to, I think, have a real disastrous effect on recruitment and retention. Um, so we've, we've got to win on this because if the government do win and defeat us on pay and we don't say we should send a message that we don't care enough about it, um, they're going to keep coming back for more, I think. You know, you see some independent schools pulling teachers out of the pension scheme why can't academies do that? And that, that these are sort of things that we face down the line so um all the stuff we've spoken about today in terms of effective organizing empowering workers politicizing workers is all interconnected um and i think this autumn with that potential indica strike ballot will be a real sort of test i think to see how much we've come since the pandemic so let's organize comrades Cheers, man. That's, that, that's perfect. Thanks for that. Is there um, anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, um, I run an organisation called Strike Manchester, which is... Um, Twitter handle is at StrikeMCR. Um, so we've sort of seen that, as I was saying earlier, a real space for sort of cross-union, explicitly socialist, political education, but also we've done a lot of organiser training as well sort of using a lot of stuff from sort of Jay McAlevey's um, strike schools, sort of doing it face-to-face -face with people. Um, we've got an event next week, which is a strike fundraiser for our RMT workers. At the end of the month, we're doing an event on a book launch um, on anti-racism, because we believe that's important that we connect sort of the union work we do in terms of radicalising people, also merging with some more sort of abolitionist um, strands around counter-policing and a world without borders. So, yeah, sort of exciting stuff. So give us a follow. 
Okay, so you have been listening to Requires Improvement. Um, follow us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, Acast uh, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, you might have moved on to a new kind of podcast app. Maybe you can follow us on there. Uh, the one I've had to move on to now has now has us on it, but Acast didn't. But anyone else know that? No. Uh, never mind. Uh, send us a message. We like we like hearing messages from people. If you've you know if you've heard anything that we've said that would be really useful, or you want some more practical advice, then yeah, just get in touch and we'll we'll share what what we can or try and put you in touch with people um, who can. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise, um, yeah. See you next time. So uh, bye bye from me and bye bye from everyone else. Bye bye. Maybe you're listening to this uh, from a future where there's no uh, no royal family. Uh, how did you do it? Send back a Terminator or uh, let us know. We can dream. Yeah.